Hello, my name is Andrew Morgan. My name is Shane Beauregard. And my name is Chris Frodell. And together, we form like Voltron to make a brand new entertainment and pop culture podcast called Recent Activity. Every Wednesday, we will bring you deep dive reviews of the hottest titles from around the film and TV world, previews of the next big things to add to your watch list, or do fun things like top five lists, movie drafts, or anniversary celebrations of your favorite classic films. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Starting May the 11th. Hello there, I'm Colleen. And I'm Anders. We're nerds who love science fiction and fantasy stories, so of course, we love Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet will never have enough of, it is nerds talking about Star Wars. So, each episode, we journey to a galaxy far, far, farther? Closer? Maybe? Away? Uh, to discuss what's new in the Star Wars canon and beyond. This is yet another Star Wars podcast. This week, we are so freaking pumped, y'all, to be returning to Lothal to snuggle up with the Loth Kitty Cat to discuss the first and second episodes of the newest Disney Plus series, Ahsoka. These episodes are titled Master and Apprentice and Toil and Trouble. They were both written by Dave Filoni, while Master and Apprentice was directed by Filoni, and the second was directed by Steph Green. She also directed on the Book of Boba Fett, which is like, yay. We like that. We like it was a one continuation. of the good episodes above a fat. Yeah, we like a continuation of of a uh, a relationship in Star Wars. That's always good. So, Anders, are you ready to get that tracker in place? Is your aim going to be better this time? As long as you haven't been going through my stuff, I haven't been going through your stuff. <laughs> okay, let's punch it. All right, we start off with a classic Star Wars opening crawl explaining the status of the New Republic and centering us in on Morgan Elsbeth, who's being transported on a New Republic ship to prison. Uh, unfortunately, he gets attacked by two individuals who initially call themselves Jedi. They do have lightsabers. They're kind of an off, off red, hinting at orange. And they slaughter the entire crew and spring Elsbeth, who affirms that they are well paid for their services and informs them they need to find Ahsoka Tano before she gets the map of to Grand Admiral Thrawn. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ahsoka is on the planet Arcana, where she discovers an ancient temple. Because, of course, she did. Ancient temples, all the rage. Everywhere. <laughs> Some cool witches on the wall, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at first i was like are those is that like the is that supposed to be like the father daughter son and then i just saw the hood and i was like oh no those are those, uh, yep those are night <laughs> sisters <laughs> uh she solves a puzzle and discovers a very small sphere which she believes is the map after leaving the temple she's attacked by and defeats several assassin droids this is a really cool sequence mm-hmm. um i was a little I, I noticed it very much that uh, the lightsaber holes that she's cutting under the droid's feet, those happen much faster when she's not on screen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like what she's doing it above ground <laughs> and you have to actually see her move versus when it's just implied what she's doing. Mm-hmm. The cuts come faster. Uh, after getting a call telling them that about the attack on the ship, Ahsoka and Hu Yang, Yay. her droid... <laughs> travel to home one for a briefing they see hollows of the attack on morgan's transport ship and ahsoka doesn't know who these intruders are who yang scans their lightsabers to see if he can match them against his records ahsoka shows hera the orb she found but it's locked and hera makes the pretty obvious suggestion that you know who's really good at this stuff sabine sabine Mm -hmm. ren yep 
<laughs> Ahsoka doubts Sabine is going to want to help her. Apparently they've had some kind of a falling out. And Hera reminds her that, you know, the map isn't just the way to Thrawn. If it's the way to Thrawn, that probably makes it the way to Ezra, which is going to make Sabine want to help. Yeah. <laughs> Hera knows her people very well. So let's um, recap here real quick, because yes. it's going to become relevant <laughs> later. So yeah. we have learned that there's a character named Ahsoka. She's looking for a map to, to this guy named Thrawn. Thrawn is missing, and so is this guy Ezra, who apparently has some deep connection to this character Sabine. All of that's been told to us. <laughs> we have been told. <laughs> <laughs> Within this episode of this show. <laughs> yes. So we know at least how everybody is connected here. So we get to Lothal and Flo, our other host, fan favorite, Ryder Azadi, is commemorating the anniversary of the Battle of Lothal with a new mural. So pretty. He introduces Sabine to the cheering crowd, but she's a no-show. This was She's fun. like, <laughs> yep, she's like Ariel at the singing competition thing. Like, nah, <laughs> just not going to that. Ryder hilariously has Jai Kel fell in at the last second. We'll talk more about him later. Sabine leads some New Republic fighter pilots on a chase outside the city and makes it back to Ezra's tower home, which she's been living in. Hysterical. I love that she's listened to her rock music and she's basically flipping off the people who are after her. <laughs> and Fast and Furious Lethal edition. Yes. They know her really well. So she Tokyo drifts under one of the uh the ships, which is awesome. I love Sabine so much. She plays the special message that Ezra left her, this little hollow recording of Sweet Little Ezra, where he apologizes for leaving, calls her his family, and trusts her to keep up the fight while he's gone. Mm. <laughs> it was so good to see Ezra, but also so sad, so poignant. So amazing now we know who reenactment Ezra is. there. Re- yeah. Amazing reenactment there. He had the mannerisms, the mm-hmm. like the kind of grabbing mm-hmm. the neck and everything. It was like yep. perfect. I, I was like, oh, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back on Lothal. This is so perfect. I love it. Oh, back on Arcana, Morgan and her minions, including a former Inquisitor called Merrick, arrive and examine the temple. Morgan explains that it was built by her ancestors, the Night Sisters of Dathomir. Skull assesses that Ahsoka got the map before defeating the droids and sends Hottie to Lothal to find Ahsoka's former Padawan. Just so happens to be Sabine Wren. <laughs> makes many 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 uh rebels fans do a double take but okay we're we're doing this apparently we're we're going to go with it i mean i think they explained it fairly well in episode 2 but this is i think they did too mm-hmm. one thing that really made me nervous and i'm glad that we kind of got a little bit more clarification on that so after waking from some nightmares sabine sees ahsoka's ship flying into the city where she finds her talking with rider Ryder encourages Sabine to hear Ahsoka out, and she listens to her former master explain that she is a map that can lead them to Ezra. Sabine ultimately agrees and starts to examine the orb, determined to find the pattern that might unlock it. Huyang interrupts by his taking Ahsoka aside, explaining that he has deduced that former Jedi Skull, here we go, is one of the lightsaber owners from the attack, although he cannot identify Hotties. This would indicate that she is Skull's apprentice. Ahsoka goes back to Sabine. Uh, she gone again. <laughs> Sabine has taken the map, despite Ahsoka's explicit instructions not to, back to her tower to examine it. Ahsoka calls Hera to vent her frustrations, but Hera reiterates that Sabine is their best chance. Ahsoka is still frustrated and recalls her own Jedi training under 
<laughs> noted hothead Anakin Skywalker, which is left incomplete after she walked away, just as she later did to Sabine. A curse, Ugh. maybe. <laughs> I know. It, it's like poetry. It rhymes, you know? It is like poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Back in her tower, Sabine does manage to crack the code and activate the map. And it shows us something in Star Wars we actually have never really seen before, and that is two separate galaxies. Mm-hmm. And a some and a seeming pathway connecting them. Unfortunately, a couple more HK droids attack. She takes out one supposedly, uh, but the other one manages to get the map and get back down to the ground where Hadi is waiting. Sabine grabs Ezra's old lightsaber and gives chase. She duels with Hadi, who stabs her through the torso and gets mm-hmm. away. Ahsoka finds Sabine wounded and calls for help. And that is the end of Master and Apprentice. <laughs> I will give them credit on this one. At the very least, like when I saw Sabine get stabbed, I was like, all right, at the very least, it's like off center. And like seeing where it was, I was like, okay, you could survive that. But Star Wars does need to retire this where people survive getting stabbed to the lightsabers. Like, no, usually if you take one to the chest, you're you're done. Yeah, Qui Gon died, man. <laughs> Let's be. Qui Gon was like right down the middle. It was like literally through the heart and the yeah. lungs. This yeah, was Maul like, went for the kill shot. Hadi did not go for the kill. This shot. is like where you get a. This is like where you get shot in a movie, and it's not actually a bad thing until we see you look down and your hands covered in blood. Yeah, like you can go for a little while with with where Sabine got stabbed. <laughs> but now we're into toil and trouble, which opens up with Sabine waking up in the med bed. She tells Ahsoka and Hu Yang that she did unlock the map, but unfortunately it got stolen and the droids destroyed her backup copy. Uh, She notes that it did show two galaxies, but she can't say where the starting point was in their galaxy Mm -hmm. because it was taken too quickly. And Ahsoka's not happy. Mm -mm. (laughs) But Ahsoka goes back. She does the whole, like, you've done enough. Which, in actuality, yeah, she kind of did. She, she, did. She, she did. She unlocked the fucking map that you couldn't unlock. Yep. And she probably did need to do it. Yeah. In the location she was at. So Ahsoka goes to Sabine's tower and finds the droid that Sabine had supposedly taken down, but they are very persistent little fuckers. Mm-hmm. She takes off his head and goes back to the med bay. There, Sabine is able to get the backup data out of the head and deduce that the droid is from Corellia. This was a cool scene. I loved it. Loved every minute of it. <laughs> uh, Hu Yang is so nervous because David like, Tennant's gonna blow up. It. What? Yeah, that shit's gonna blow up. Like for real. <laughs> but they figure out that the droid is from Corellia, where Morgan had facilities before the Empire fell, before she was arrested. Uh, Hera and Ahsoka agreed to meet on the planet to confirm that these facilities were in fact dismantled after, as they should have been after the rebellion bureaucracy mm. at its finest <laughs> uh but before taking off Hera gives Sabine a small pep talk about how she needs to rest but she's done a lot and she's done great work so far you're both really difficult like let's let's face it <laughs> on the planet Cetos Skull and Haiti have found where the map is meant to go where the orb is meant to go to really activate mm-hmm. the map Morgan uses some really cool green fire dark side magic to activate mm-hmm. it and it shows the path between the two galaxies, namely Skull identifying it as the path to Peridia, which is an old fairy tale that Morgan insists is based on truth. 
they hear these really strange voices sort of echoing in their own heads. And Morgan insists that it's Thrawn calling to her across time and space, telling her to come find him. Mm-hmm. She Girl. tells the others. <laughs> yeah. She tells the others to make preparations for the Eye of Scion to arrive. Skull sends Morok to Corellia for the final pieces. Ooh, it's all coming together. On Corellia, Ahsoka and Hera inspect the shipyard, which they find a staff with former Imperial workers, something the supervisor, Min Weaver, insists was necessary to stay operational. Which, fair. They're having an employment crisis. Yeah, that's real. He tries to stonewall them, but they get through and discover a massive hyperdrive, too large for anything in the New Republic fleet. And evidence of some HK assassin droids. The control tower employees fire on them, shouting, for the Empire, whoopsies, before Hera and Ahsoka take them down. Ahsoka pursues and fights Merrick, while Hera and Chopper get a tracker onto Merrick's ship. Back on Lothal, Huyang and Sabine talk about her former training, where Huyang tells Sabine that she is the least amount of force aptitude (laughs) of any Padawan he has ever seen. Which is fair. I mean, pretty much any of the Force-sensitive kids he would see would have been recruited by the Jedi directly. Sabine, not one of those people. (laughs) He still calls that an excuse and gives her back her lightsaber, which he insists isn't Ezra's anymore after she made her own modifications to it. Sabine returns to her tower and gets on her Mandalorian armor. Yay! (laughs) She makes herself a little altar looking at her helmet. She grabs a knife and slices off her hair, samurai style. Meanwhile, on Corellia, Hera and Ahsoka lament that there are still people loyal to the Empire. Ahsoka mentions that it's simple greed fueling them. Which, also fair. Definitely true. Mm -hmm. For some of them, yes. Mm -hmm. Back on her shuttle, Ahsoka gets a message from Jabine. She's ready. Sabine visits the mural on the fall, and we are treated to a full live-action recreation of the final scene in the Rebels epilogue, where Sabine and Ahsoka reunite and head off on their mission. Mm-hmm. As they break orbit, Hu Yang says that Harris Tracker shows the ship has stopped above Cetos, and Ahsoka tells her Padawan to take them out. <laughs> above Cetos, on the ISION, which is a very cool-looking ship, mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan oversees the installation of this final hyperdrive. She discusses Ahsoka's forthcoming arrival with her mercenaries, and Skull mentions that he's personally unwilling to kill another Jedi. You know who might be fine with it, though? His friend. <laughs> yeah, I think she'd. I think she'd be okay. <laughs> Ooh, great episodes. <sighs> yeah, yeah, really great episodes. Um, not without not without their problems, but overall very, very good. But mm-hmm. before we get into our actual reactions, I want to take a step back, Colleen, because you and I were texting about this a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. that ever since Ahsoka turned up in The Mandalorian Season 2, fans have been very hype for the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, arguably even before that, whenever they first announced it. Yeah. Disney was pushing the show hard. Really hard. I don't, I don't think even Kenobi got this much of an advertising push. Boba mm-hmm. Fett definitely didn't. And or didn't. <laughs> I don't even... The last season of The Mandalorian might not have even... Maybe the first season of Mandalorian got this much of a yeah. marketing push, but even then, I, there were so many clips, promos, circling, coming, copying out 
on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere, that I was actually wondering if Rosaria Dawson had broken the SAG AFRA strike because she was <laughs> everywhere. Mm-hmm. For clarity, I'm like 99% sure she did not break the strike, <laughs> that these were just, yeah. they just had all of these pre canned. Yeah countdowns what do you need to know about ahsoka everything like her coolest moments what it's what it was like filming the show everything all of that and combined with my favorite innovation this time the episodes that are coming out for wednesday actually were dropped at 9 p.m eastern on tuesday night which is how amazon and apple tv release their shows and i very much appreciated it and it also Mm -hmm. felt so cool it was like we had that real prime time viewing experience Mm -hmm. we could all actually watch together we could all watch together we were not waking up at three or four in the morning to watch before work (laughs) (laughs) or trying to avoid the internet all day twitter ban But it, it just really brought this whole thing to a whole new level. So, Colleen, I mean, I think I know the answer, but what was your level of hype going into this show? Oh, Anders, <laughs> <laughs> you definitely know my hype level was incredibly high. Um, I'm a massive Rebels fan. I am a pusher of Rebels. I tell everyone I meet to watch Rebels. Uh, and I really like Ahsoka as a character. She grows in Clone Wars so much and then into Rebels. So it'll be cool to see her kind of be a little jaded here. Like she's become older. She's like, ugh, my apprentice turned into a beast. What do I do? <laughs> Run away, apparently, is what she did. Um, so when they announced the series and that title card had that Roll Between Worlds motif, I was like, ooh, I think we're getting some Rebels. I think we're getting some Rebels content in the Ahsoka show. I pretty much exploded. This was at one of the Disney uh, investor meetings. I don't Mm -hmm. remember which one, but this was a huge thing for them was to announce Ahsoka. Um, That day, a bunch of people messaged me to see if I was okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, are you still alive? Like, yep, I'm alive and I'm very excited about this. Uh, Since then, I've been waiting super patiently for any news about the show. Uh, Even the casting intel was given out in little bits and pieces. Like, we didn't even know that Lars Mikkelsen was going to be playing Thrawn until basically the last possible second. Disney knows what it's really doing with this, making the fans, like especially us, salivate over every detail. And I think it's teasing enough for newer viewers to draw them in, at least for the first couple episodes. Um, Basically, I'm just ready. I'm ready for this series. I'm ready for it to continue. I'm ready for Dave Filoni's movie. Just (laughs) (laughs) shoot it into my veins. yeah i was very this is probably this was i remember that investor day we did a reaction after that over on bohemian geek studies mm-hmm. and i think this was like my number one or my number two yeah. it was this and uh the acolyte or like my top yes mm-hmm. yeah and the acolyte for different reasons because it was going to be something entirely different whereas this is something we know and can continue with right yes this is as Dave Filoni said, it's basically Rebel Season 5, which I am not mad about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Colleen, so let's get into our reactions to these episodes. But getting actually at what you just said, <laughs> we have to have the discussion because apparently we always have to have the fucking discussion. Every time, Anders. <laughs> Every fucking time. Every time we get a new piece that is based in IP, mm-hmm. we have the question, well, what homework do I have to do? And Colleen, is watching Rebels required, is watching Clone Wars required to watch and enjoy Ahsoka? 
Okay, here we go. <laughs> um, well, I wouldn't tell people that Rebels is absolutely required. Like, just kidding, yes. <laughs> At least for a certain understanding. Like, if you want the multi-layered background on the characters, the relationships, and what exactly happened to Ezra and Thrawn, like, yeah, I would say for sure, watch Rebels. Watch Clone Wars if you feel so drawn to that material. Um Although Thrawn also hasn't been in any other TV or movie projects besides Rebels. So if the viewer wants to go in cold, that's fine. Like, it's really up to the person. There are so many books, books upon books, that Timothy Zahn has written about Thrawn, his role in Legends, his role in canon. It wouldn't be reasonable for every single Star Wars fan to have read those books or to want to read them unless they're me. <laughs> I love Thrawn, so I want to read everything about him. And then Ahsoka's massive presence in Clone Wars... I understand why people don't want to watch all Clone Wars. It's really long. There are a lot of episodes that are not that great, so, even if Ahsoka's in them. So if they don't want to watch the shows, that's fine. They should realize that fans will be talking about Clone Wars and Rebels, though. Like, when they're discussing Ahsoka or her show in general. Like, it can't be stopped. The people who have watched Clone Wars and Rebels will be talking about it and its connections to this show. I would say to people who haven't watched it, if you don't want to, don't. Just pretend that you've been dropped into the middle of an operatic space battle, just like in A New Hope, and have fun. How about you? <laughs> Although yeah. I already know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to say this again, and I really, I, I'm hoping, I know it won't be, but I'm hoping this is this is the last time we have this conversation, but the internet still exists, and... <laughs> Which means that even though I am fucking sick and tired of this discourse, we're probably going to have to come back here again. If you are watching, if you are watching something and watching a whole other series or watching another movie or reading the book first is required in order for you to understand what's happening, that's a failure of the storytelling. No, you do not have to watch Rebels or Clone Wars in order to watch and understand Ahsoka. If you are confused or if you have questions about the show after you watch these first two episodes, it's because the show is actually presenting you with some kind of a mystery. The show is asking questions and wants you to be asking those questions. Mm -hmm. I remember I I was like disheartened <laughs> at one point. I was on... Uh, a, th a chat thread uh, with several of our friends and I saw one post that said I felt so confused because I haven't like seen Clone Wars and Rebels who are Skull and Haiti I, I don't know I'm confused where, where what is this map and where does it lead and I was just like guess what we don't know that either those nope. are the questions <laughs> we are asking too it's like the writer wanted us to be curious about something what a fucking concept I wasn't mad at this person. I just want to say <laughs> say that like I felt for her and I was just like this is a victim they are a victim yeah. of the online discourse. Yes. This constant and... argument back and forth of hey, do you have to know? Do you have to have right. seen this? Did you do the homework? Well, if you had mm -hmm. just watched that everyone needs to calm the fuck down and just watch the goddamn show. Yep. Now Star just Wars watch it. Enjoy it. Star Wars has failed at this in the past. Mm -hmm. With those Mandalorian episodes and Boba Fett tying those ser series together in a way that I think is a failure of storytelling. Without telling anyone. <laughs> right. Without actually telling them. Mm -hmm. But here, 
like like we said at the top, they told us everything about like Ezra and Thrawn that we are required to know. They showed us what mm-hmm. is important for us to be wondering about with Ahsoka, Sabine, Hera. Ahsoka and Sabine have had some kind of falling out. We have no idea what that was. No one knows what that was. It's going to be explored in the show. Hera has that kind of calming presence and is mm-hmm. is like almost a mentor to everybody. That's that's what you need to know about it. In order to understand the events of this show, that's all you need to know about them. If you want to know more, go check out that story. I recommend yeah. doing it just because it's an amazingly well-told story, mm-hmm. but not because you have to know. No. Except watch Rome. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I love it. I'm a gate opener, not a gatekeeper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you're incredibly correct. You should not have to do however many. There, God, there's so many episodes of the Clone Wars, you guys. Um, <clears throat> Rebels and the next shorter, time a Marvel like property com- and the next time a Marvel property comes out, mm-hmm. unless it quite literally has like a two or a three at the end of the title, yeah. no, you don't have to watch anything else in order to yeah. understand what's happening in the context of that movie. Exactly. You shouldn't have to. Unless something Mm -hmm. specifically says this is connected to something else, you shouldn't have to. Like, yes, this could be Rebel Season 5, but Dave Filoni is also giving us all the character hints and clues that we need. He's giving us the character beats. He's he's giving it to us. It's going to be fine. He's a good storyteller. He's a good person to lead you through a story. So I'm not worried. I think once this series is like this, at least this season is over, people will be like, oh, yeah. Loved it. Can't wait for the next season. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, Colleen, what did you think of the episodes themselves? I loved them. (laughs) (laughs) They brought me back to that kind of um, feeling of joy. I felt watching Rebels for the first time. I love that the three main characters are women, notably women of color or of a different alien race. Love it. I'm here for it. Give me all of the female protagonists that you want. (laughs) And the main villain is also a woman. Um, speaking of the villains, they're impressive and shadowy enough while also feeling very layered. Like, no one is an outright villain yet. Like, Morgan's people were mercilessly slaughtered. I'd be pretty pissed too, you know? Especially if she was there when they were killed. Like, they were decimated. Were her actions after this terrible? Hell yes. She's not a good person. (laughs) But I can see where she's coming from as a character. She has a motivation that makes sense. Of course, she'd attach herself to Thrawn, who was also an outsider who moved his way up to incredible power. Um, I think Natasha is great as Sabine. She has her kind of eye roll down perfectly. I think Rosario does better when she's around these other characters, these other actors. She has that kind of smirk and annoyed teacher (laughs) aspect that Anakin definitely had with her. Um, I'm still not quite sold on Mary Elizabeth Winstead yet, but I think she's got a lot of Hera's signature body language down. Like she did the the hip with the the hand on her hip kind of situation. I'm like, oh yeah, that's definitely Hera. Yeah. Um, I think she'll get there. I think I'm going to warm to her as Hera. I was just so used to the animated version that it's just going to be tough. I am interested to see how the search continues. Like, how are they going to find Thrawn and Ezra? Are we going to be planet hopping? to adventure of the week situation is it going to be more lore dropping i don't know and that's what i'm excited about i love a mystery i love not knowing absolutely everything that's happening already within two episodes i'm here for it how about you 
I'm pretty much in agreement with you. I loved these episodes. I think, yeah, of the cast, Mary Elizabeth once said, you know, she was the one that we were a little bit iffy on going in. And again, nothing against her as an actress. Just oh, just like, is it the right casting? She does have a lot of the body language down right. And especially it's the head tilt. It's the it's the mm-hmm. stares. The absolute because Hera in a lot of cases doesn't have a lot of lines. Mm-hmm. She just gives you that mother look. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what she's thinking. Disappointment. <laughs> um, I did think the pacing was a little slow in these opening two. I'm hoping that kind of picks up as we get more into the adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, the translation of animated to live action, I think, was ve- was extremely well done. There's still a couple points in some of the lightsaber fights. And I, I noticed I started noticing this in uh, Mandalorian season two when rosario came on as ahsoka and that was just like when you're when a character has existed only in animation for so long they can move so much faster do so many other things Mm -hmm. that like still it she's definitely still cutting things down and i think there were some points here where she did better but i kind of i think my favorite fight in this one was actually sabine hati uh they just felt more energized Mm -hmm. whereas chaotic too a little more chaotic and I felt like they were really putting like force behind their blows as opposed to this kind of like smooth swipe thing mm-hmm. that Rosario has a tendency to do. Mm-hmm. That being said, her her and Maroc, Maroc however, however we say it, was really cool. Like when the lightsaber flies by her. That was amazing. I love yeah. it. That was such a cool thing to do. Like her badass meter just went way up. <laughs> but I think actually my favorite single moment in these episodes was when Sabine went to work on the droid head. You just saw her come alive a little bit more, like that engineering spark in her brain was going and she had this kind of light in her eyes. I've seen the criticism that a lot of these live action Star Wars characters are very stoic. And I and I see it. I see it. But they when they get these moments where they do truly come alive, I'm like, this is exactly why we're here. Yes, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. If you want to if you love brooding stairs go watch dune part one again timothy chalamet has plenty of them it is about 50 percent of the movie is timothy chalamet in a brooding stare oh sweet timmy <laughs> mr little paul atreides you do just fine but on the i whole, agree awesome <laughs> i agree i think in, in animation we're so used to the very expressive faces because they over exaggerate in animation so we're used to these characters being very emotive especially ahsoka so it's kind of strange when you get someone who's a little more laid back. I'm like, okay, once they get comfortable, I hope they lean into the more fun aspects because yeah. Rebels was fun. Like these characters are fun. Just look at Chop. Chop and Hera, amazing. <laughs> Dynamic, pitch perfect, fantastic. No notes there. All right. So next we are going to move in. We're going to kind of go character by character with the major players here little background what do we learn about them in these episodes and i will let you start off colleen with the lady herself ahsoka tano lady ahsoka tano there is literally way too much to say about ahsoka in this pod um especially since we're going to be pretty long because we're explaining a lot about other characters but here are some fun little details for ahsoka that we'll go over for now fulcrum is her new republic call sign and it was also her code name during the rebellion she was one of many fulcrums, but she was the first to use this code name. 
the T-6 shuttle that she uses, which is so cool, is <laughs> a well-known Jedi ship. It was an ambassador craft as well as an unarmed transport. Ahsoka will have modified it to fit her needs, however. She does need weapons. Or be, perhaps she had some old friends help with that. Looking at you, Martez sisters. <laughs> and then this part I thought was really, really cool. I loved this new kind of force power that we haven't seen very much in live action. The force echo. Ahsoka uses this force ability to feel what happened in the fight between Sabine and Hati. It seems to be a little bit like psychometry, which is a talent of Cal Kestis and Quinlan Boss. It's like, mm, okay, I can get into this. I like adding this detail. It also seems to be a talent shared by Bale and Skull. Hmm, interesting. It's like they're foils of each other. <gasps> what? Foils? <laughs> a literary reference? Huzzah! <laughs> I thought that was so cool, just like seeing her like walk around and very like classic detective story too. Yes, where like Sherlock like is a... pa- Sherlock is pacing the room and yes. <laughs> a little He's... bit of um a Princess Bride that I know you don't like, <laughs> where yeah. look, Prince Humperdinck is trying to figure out the footwork from the fight between Inigo and Wesley, and he does uh, the yeah. movements with his feet. So he's trying to figure out like what were they doing. He knows they're really good swordsmen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And next up, we have Sabine. Now, the show may be called Ahsoka, but Sabine is definitely the Mm co-lead. She's a Mandalorian from a very prominent family. Sabine uh, had been part of the Rebellion as part of Kanan and Hera's crew on the Ghost. She was integral to so many missions and assisted with the final liberation of Lothal and driving Thrawn to exile. Mm Mm-hmm. Between the end of Rebels and the start of the series, Sabine apparently started formal training with Ahsoka as her Padawan. Even though she's not really Force sensitive, uh, mm-hmm. definitely not as much as Ezra or any other formally trained Jedi, Kanan did spend some time teaching her to open herself up to the presence of the Force during Trials of the Darksaber. <laughs> and he so mentions good. how everything is connected to the Force, so everyone has the ability to open themselves up to it as long as they're willing. When Hu Yang hilariously (laughs) mentions that she has absolutely no talent for it, but she's still been training with Ezra Saber, and we do get to see that she does, she knows a little bit about how to wield it, kind of like in The Mandalorian, when uh, Din was like always like hulking with the Darksaber, and then you put it in Bo-Katan's hand, and she's like, no, I know how to wield this. Yes. Mm -hmm. Sabine knows. She knows how to wield it. Sabine knows. I love during those parts where we got Kevin Kiner's score coming in with the Sabine theme from yeah. Rebels 2. Mm, mm. Loved it. Harris and Dula. A general in the New Republic, Harris' position can pull a lot of weight. We loved seeing her chastise the Corellian employees for trying to hide things from her. No nonsense, but still funny. Hera is the mom set between Ahsoka and Sabine, trying to bring them back together. During Rebels, she was romantically involved with Kanan Jarrus, a Jedi who escaped Order 66. His death hangs heavily over her, though we haven't seen her talk about him yet. We also haven't seen her son, Jason Sindula, though he was included in a Lego set as a Lego figurine for the Ahsoka show. We might get to see her interact with her son and find out what he's been up to since the end of Rebels. Yeah, I always find that kind of strange. Like, we've seen her a few times... Mm -hmm. Uh, not necessarily in the shows, but she's popped up in several novels and Jason is never there. The only mention we get is that he's like on Ryloth with her father. Yeah, which is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's kind of a douche. 
Let's leave Jason with Champs and Dua. Terrible. <laughs> Next up, we have the galaxy's best ever murder droid. Mm-hmm. Sorry, R2. It is Chopper. Mm-hmm. Chopper is the hysterical, grumpy uncle droid we all need. He's so loyal to his friends in the ghost crew, but his main attachment mm-hmm. is definitely to Hera, who repaired him during the Clone Wars. Foul and funny, Chopper will always talk back and is not usually one to follow rules. I was a little uh was a little jarring to me to see him this time where he's basically just speaking basic. Yeah. Like you, you know the exact words that. he is using. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, threw me through a little bit of a loop. Not sure how much I like that, but it's a it's a small detail. Uh, we don't get to see too much of him here, but his partnership with Hera is still the same. They're in sync. They're like snippy with each other, and it's hilarious and amazing. And he still gets the job done. Although I, I have a feeling if he had his way, he would have blasted that ship out of the sky instead of putting a tracker on it. Oh, yeah, he, he does give care. himself he does give himself the full on arms champion. Yes. <laughs> we love Chop. We absolutely adore Chop here. All right, next we have Morgan Elsbeth. She first showed up in a season two episode of The Mandalorian. Meant to be a formidable foe for Ahsoka, she proved to be efficient with her Beskar staff, but was unable to defeat Ahsoka. We were given a clue to her identity when Ahsoka explained to Din Djarin that Morgan's people were massacred during the Clone Wars and that she amassed power to vent her rage. Yikes. Though we didn't know she was a Night Sister at the time, the marking on her head was identified by eagle-eyed fans as being from Dathomir. This explanation fits with the Clone Wars timeline. The Night Sisters were indeed crushed by Count Dooku and General Grievous during the Clone Wars. Not many survived, though we can now count Morgan, among others like Asajj Ventress and Marin from the Fallen Order video games. Her connection to the Night Sisters and their magic suggests that Morgan's name is a reference to Morgan Le Fay from Arthurian legend. Morgan was a powerful sorceress and determined to defeat Arthur and seize control of Camelot for herself and her son, Mordred, who is also Arthur's son and Morgan is his sister. And there's all kinds of crazy shit. There's a lot of things <laughs> happening there, but I, just keeping it simple. Her and she's her a son. witch, yes. She's a witch. <laughs> she's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that they finally brought the Night Sisters in. This is like one of my favorite memes going around. Like, why are we going back to Tatooine when there's a planet full of goth black-eyed witches out there? <laughs> yes. Sexy force witches. Come on. <laughs> All right, next up, we have a new character for this series, Balin Skull. We really don't know much about him, except that he, at the very least, used to be a Jedi who escaped Order 66. He knew Anakin Skywalker and comments to Ahsoka that Anakin always spoke very high, highly of her in one of the trailers. Yeah, we haven't seen it yet, but it's out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hu Yang also knows Balin's lightsaber, meaning he was part of the Order before the Empire came about. Uh, where did he go after Order 66? We don't know. Why does he seek power from Thrawn? You know, did he willingly leave the Jedi Order at some point? He still kind of identifies himself as a Jedi. Mm-hmm. And he does have Hati uh, have the Padawan braid. So he's still like passing on some of those teachings. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the power from the Lothal Jedi Temple? Yeah, that... this is. I'm wondering if this is what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that were those pieces that were in Thrawn's ship on the Chimera. Mm-hmm. Even if Balin's looking for an entrance to the world between worlds, would he be able to enter it? The temple would only allow Ezra entry during Rebels. 
and Palpy was not happy about that and was not able mm -hmm. to get it himself. Nope. Could Balin pass this test? Or I guess in that case, he would fail the test because passing the test is what closed the door for Ezra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch Rebels. <laughs> Watch Rebels. Go listen to our Bohemian Geek Studies episodes where we go through all of Rebels. <laughs> Mm -hmm. in excruciating detail. <laughs> Next up, we have his apprentice, Shin Hati. Uh, we know even less about his relent Balin's relentless apprentice than we know about him. She's mm -hmm. a young woman with very considerable skills. She's very talented with a lightsaber. And she follows Balin's orders to the letter. He's also willing to let her complete parts of the mission separated from him, which means that she has his trust. Mm -hmm. It'll be really interesting to see how the two met, how she came to be trained by Balin. I could definitely see some kind of an exposition dump in a nice little scene somewhere. I don't know. Maybe she's stranded somewhere with Sabine and they have to get along and eventually Ooh. become best friends. Aha, the honorable one <laughs> strikes again. <laughs> I'm also very here for that. You know what I'm not here for, though? People thinking that Marek is going to be Ezra. Really not here for it. I don't like this theory. <laughs> Ezra, no. <laughs> no, I, don't I think, think you Marek would just have to do way too many narrative backflips yeah. to figure out how the hell he got back and became an Inquisitor. <laughs> exactly. Not. I'm not a fan of that theory. Um, I do like the theory that Marek could actually be a she. And that it might be Barris Offie, who was Ahsoka's friend during the Clone Wars. Although, I also like this little nugget of an idea. It should be noted that Darth Maul's voice actor, Sam Witwer, was included in the end credits for Ahsoka. Theory is that he would be playing Merrick, who could be another Legends character sneaking into canon. The character of Galen Merrick is the lead character in the Force Unleashed video games. And he was voiced by Sam Witwer, who also provided the character's appearance. He was Darth Vader's secret apprentice. Merrick was known as Starkiller. I don't think it's really going to be Starkiller per se, but it would be kind of cool if it was Sam Witwer. Yeah, that would be really because cool. Because I love him. <laughs> I love Sam Witwer, first husband. He should definitely be on this show. I would like it if it was like Merrick was Vader's secret apprentice kind of off canon, like off camera in canon, facing off against Anakin, Anakin's former Padawan Ahsoka. Like that'd be really cool. I like it. I like it a lot. Marin's name, like Morgan's, comes from Arthurian legend. Merrick was a valiant knight who was betrayed and turned into a wolf by Irma, an agent of Morgan. Merrick managed to break through his wolf instincts to continue taking down evil and attacking Irma, who was to turn herself into an owl to escape. Dave Filoni and his obsession with wolves. <laughs> Here it comes again. Yeah, but we didn't get any. No, not yet. No loath wolves yet. Hmm. But we do get Hu Yang coming back, voiced by the absolutely incredible David Tennant. Hu Yang has been around for a generation. He was built around 25,000 years before the Battle of Yavin, mm -hmm. meaning he could totally appear in this like Dawn of the Jedi movie. <laughs> like okay. that could be his first construction. Mm -hmm. uh, Hu Yang is an integral part of the Jedi Order, helping younglings build their first lightsabers and passing down the weapons lore. After the Clone Wars, it's great to see that he's still around, although how Ahsoka found him is still a pretty big mystery. They shared an adventure in the Clone Wars show, so there is a connection. Like, they've met each other at least a couple of times. Uh, besides him just being important to the Jedi, 
I mean, considering the Empire strip mined Ilum, where he was based in orbit uh, for the Death Stars, and it would eventually be transformed into Starkiller Base for the First Order, the story of how he escaped and reconnected with Ahsoka is likely very interesting and very thrilling, and I want to know it. <laughs> Same, because Palpatine would definitely be after this guy. <laughs> he would definitely love to have this kind of resource at his fingertips. Next, we have Ezra, Ezra Bridger. We don't get to see much of him in these episodes, but his presence is etched into every decision Sabine makes. Ahsoka wants to find him too, but she knows that Sabine was the closest connection to Ezra and uses that to lock her in for solving the map problem. Also, yeah, Hera knew it too. (laughs) They're being a smidge manipulative here, but if they can find Ezra, I think that would be better for Sabine in the long run. We have no idea where Ezra is at the moment, except that he is most likely with Thrawn somewhere. Far-flung planet, different galaxy, we don't know yet. Ezra is surrounded by question. Is he independent of Thrawn? Are they still enemies or have they become allies? Like, considering a few things from these episodes, we do see a purgle in the skies of Setos. Could this be Ezra watching the planet through the purgle? He is known to have a connection with them like this. Morgan also claims that she can hear Thrawn calling to her across the galaxy. Uh, sure, Jan. Thrawn is not Force-sensitive. He's not. I'm sorry. (laughs) So it could actually be Ezra who's reaching out. Whether he's doing it because Thrawn told him to is another question. We just don't know. We don't know anything. He could show up with like a great big bushy beard and be insane. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And next up we have Ryder Azadi. Hell yes, we get Clancy Brown gets to show up on the Star Wars screen without a ton of makeup and prosthetics. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> the veteran actor voiced writer in Rebels. Uh, he also voiced Darth Maul's brother, Savage Press, in The Clone Wars. Ryder was once the imprisoned governor of Lothal, although uh, due to helping the rebellion retake the planet, he seems to have retaken his position and is very comfortable there after many years. And gotta yeah. say, dude's looking pretty great. He looks good. Looks amazing. Like, looks happy. Sorry, Flo, but Ryder's doing great. <laughs> <laughs> And we have one other person from Rebels, Jai Kel. This is such a great day. Like, I was so excited when Ryder shoved him forward and was like, go ahead, Jai Kel, do it. Like, yes. <laughs> so Jai is Ezra's friend and former Imperial cadet who has grown to be a senator for Lothal. Like, he's got this glow up. I love this. Love this for him. Ezra saved Jai he when they were younger. He still looks like a little scrawny kid. He does. He's just a little guy. It's like, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> He's so cute. He's the same age as Ezra, so I'm sure they will look very different, though. Um, of note, Jai is the one person that Ezra trusted with his plan to call the Purgil to Lothal at the end of Rebel Season 4. Jai might not have known exactly what was going to happen, but he was the one who knew what to do. And Jai was voiced by Zuko himself, Dante Hosko. <laughs> Rufio. And Rufio, yes. <laughs> I, I will live... not stand for Rufio Erasure. Zuko's a I, great character, but... I love Rufio, too. Rufio didn't Zuko... die, it's just to be forgotten and overshadowed by Zuko. I mean, but Zuko's such a great character. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. But Dante does not play the live-action version of Jai Cal. That is Vinny Thomas. One cool thing about Jai is that he might be Force-sensitive, but not strong enough to be trained as a formal Jedi. Mm-hmm. All right. Next, we are going to head into our other homages, some other Easter eggs, connections and callbacks to other Star Wars properties, whatnot. 
And Colleen, I'll start. Let's start off with your favorite, those titles. Yay, I love titles. Okay, so our first episode, Master and Apprentice, can refer to both Ahsoka and Sabine and Balon and Shinhati. It is also the title of a canon novel featuring Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon's relationship as Master and Apprentice. Amazing book. Go read it if you haven't. Second episode is Toil and Trouble, which comes from the Shakespearean play Macbeth. It's a line from the three witches at the play's beginning. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire, burn, and cauldron bubble. I used to know that. I used to know that whole thing. Yep. Yeah, we had to memorize (laughs) it in high school, I think, for one of our tests. Uh, The witches here use these words in their spell, signaling that the play is not going to be a happy one. Mm -mm. Witches are involved. The fates are involved. No, it's just not going to be good. Since Morgan is a Dathomirian knight sister, this title most likely refers to her machinations to find Thrawn and bring him back to the main galaxy. Next up, we have that classic Star Wars staple, the opening crawl. And this was just, this was actually just really, really great. We did get one of these, I think it was in um, Solo, was like the last time they really used this. We got a little bit. We got a little bit of an opening crawl in Solo, and then we got this here, and it just felt like, just felt Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It felt I, so it Star Warsy. <laughs> I was like, yes. We noticed the first episode's uh, opening credits are also all in red, which is usually something that would indicate the presence of Maul coming around, or at the very least that something very terrible is about to happen. Mm-hmm. So why would Filoni have chosen red for this? Uh, I don't know. Even the helmets in the opening sequence seemed to, were all red. Yep, those, no those blue. Those droid helmets, no blue. It's all red. I mean, Sam Whitmore was there. You never know. Maybe Maul's not dead after all again. <laughs> I think he's dead. If anything, we might get his voice in a flashback. <laughs> and next up, we have the classic We Are No Jedi from Skull. This is a callback to Ahsoka's very famous pronouncement during Twilight of the Apprentice, the Rebel season two finale, as she is facing off against Darth Vader. She says, I am no Jedi. Some other, yeah, (laughs) some other really cool uh, tidbits about um, Skull and Hati, the orange lightsabers. The lightsabers can be many different colors for Legends characters. The only character in canon, we've seen with this option is Cal Kestis from Fallen Order. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, they could signify that Skull and Hati are not Sith. They're not also Jedi. These definitely lean a little bit more towards the red. Dave Filoni has said that he didn't want them to be pure red because he wanted mm-hmm. to just visually indicate that there's a little bit more to these characters than might meet the eye. So we're really cu- curious to see what that is. I mean, pretty straightforward Star Wars hallway fight with the lightsaber as uh, Skull is barreling through all of the uh, the soldiers at the beginning. Very, very Darth Vader from A New Hope and from Rogue One. And then Luke kind of recreating that at the end of Mandalorian Season 2. Here we have another great, great thing. Just, just showing power mm-hmm. this and entire time. nonchalance. He's like just, eh. yeah, <laughs> it's not hard for him. <laughs> these two also fight in that tr- classic kind of tri-wing shuttle this one looks like it's been upgraded a little bit it's a little bit closer to the ones we see in the sequel trilogy mm-hmm. uh, than the classics from the original uh, also fun fact speaking of names skull and ahati are figures from norse mythology again some wolves uh they chase the sun and the moon respectively i love dave filoni <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he is going to get as many wolf references into this show as he possibly can. I want a fucking uh, moth wolf. We're going to get one, I hope, please. Maybe maybe not in this season, but at least at some point in the series, I would hope so. We love to see a wolf, Dave Filoni. Everyone loves wolves. Just bring them. Okay, next we have, it's a map. For real, though, it's a map. When I was watching the sequence, all I could think was the fifth element for real. Oh, yeah. First, when they first that and Indiana like, Jones. Yes. Like, this is like a, a temple raid. Pure and simple. But then I saw the statues. It was like, that's Mother Talzin. Like, and then I turned out to be right. I'm like, yay! <laughs> Good job, brain. Um, this is an ancient Nysister temple. Some viewers are wondering why this ancient map would lead to Thrawn. And, which is very fair. Like, kind of like we hate to talk about uh right skywalker <laughs> and <laughs> the goddamn um, wayfinders and the wayfinders and the stupid knife being like how could it still be the same shape when water erodes everything but here there could be a good reason for this it's not necessarily just leading to thrawn thrawn just might happen to be here uh, my theory is that the map is actually a guide to pergo migration routes the Night Sisters were force sensitive. They also had an established relationship with nature. They were probably very interested in creatures who could traverse the stars through hyperspace. That kind of power would have been very alluring to the Night Sisters. And then Thrawn and Esther's location would most likely be along a Purgle route since they jumped into hyperspace from Lothal and took the uh, Chimera away. Because Ezra was like, yo, take us somewhere really far away from here. <laughs> yes. And they did. And apparently they did. That's my theory on this, at least. Pergo I think can go that's a good theory. Pergo can go just about anywhere, and yeah, just kind of like the uh, the map to Luke Skywalker is not necessarily a map to Luke, it's a map to the planet yeah. <laughs> where the temple is, and yeah. we just happen to know that that's where Luke is. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it works better there. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we have those HK assassin droids. Now, these are assassin droids that first appeared in the Star Wars video game Knights of the Old Republic 2. They are very, very skilled. They have those. Uh, they have those vibro staffs, very similar to the the droids that General Grievous has in the prequels. Uh, and that HK stands for Hunter Killer, so this is what they are designed to do. Super friendly. Which means one of them should definitely end up being a nanny by the end of the season. Please. <laughs> <laughs> or at least a snarky sidekick. I mean, yeah. Give it to us, please. <laughs> and then we have that nice little sequence aboard Home One, also known as Headquarters Frigate. Home One was the flagship for Admiral Akbar during the Rebellion. Uh, it was originally a deep space explorer ship made by the Mon Calamari, then it was retrofitted for military service. Uh, we mm -hmm. first saw it, uh, at least in the exterior and the medbay, during uh, Empire Strikes Back at the very end, and then it was a primary setting for uh, Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point in time, Akbar is still alive and in power, so Home One is still considered headquarters for the New Republic fleet, and we get that nice little cameo from him above, mm -hmm. from above the deck. Mm -hmm. I was just like, there he is! There I did the Leo thing! It's Akbar! <laughs> I love it. I love Akbar. I love them on call. I hope we get to see even more of them. I think we will be later this season, because there's another Lego figurine that is a Mon Calamari person. <laughs> Who is not Admiral Akbar. Okay, next we have that gorgeous mural that Sabine painted. This we first saw at the end of Rebel Season 4. She painted the entire ghost crew along with both wolves and love cats. 
This mural was apparently to commemorate the anniversary of the Battle of Lothal, though Sabine declined to be part of the ceremony. Before she departs with her former master, Ahsoka, Sabine visits the mural and touches Ezra's face. She's going to find him. She's going to find her brother. I finally noticed, though, he doesn't have the scars. On the mural? Yeah, he doesn't Mm. have the facial scars. Maybe this is her idealized version. I'd have to go back and look at the animated version. to see. I don't if think he does in there either. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing he will when we finally see Because <laughs> <laughs> that's an integral part of who he is, too. Uh, next, we have Sabine's Mandalorian armor. We see that she has stored her armor at the communications tower, but it's kind of in like a box under a table. It's going to be dusty, I'm sure, down there. How long has it been since she used it? We don't know. She grabs Ezra's lightsaber to duel Hottie instead of using a Mandalorian weapon, which I thought was super interesting. Like, why would she ignore her pistols and use a lightsaber? Has it been that long? Like, is she rusty? I wouldn't think so. Um, We do get to see her don that armor once she accepts her role in finding Ezra. And one of her shoulder pauldrons features a pergol. That was one of the first things I noticed when she laid it out. I was like, there's a pergol! Space whale! Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have the E-Wing fighter, which is making its live-action debut. Uh, the ship was me- originally meant to meet or exceed the performance of the X-Wing. Um, unfortunately, it just never quite got there, probably just because they thought the X-Wing looked cooler in the movies. Uh, it made its first appearance in the comic series Star Wars Dark Empire. I know Daniel was very happy to see it. <laughs> Anything about a ship, I was like, ooh, Daniel, ship. <laughs> Texting him. <laughs> Uh, and then where are the ships getting made? They are on Corellia, Han Solo and Kira's home planet. Corellia is very much an industrial planet. It's used to build starships. Obviously a very convenient place for Morgan to set up shop and gain some followers. Corellia wasn't really treated as poorly by the Empire due to its use as a shipyard. And thus there are still plenty of workers there loyal to the Empire because mm-hmm. they were getting paid very handsomely for all their work. Yep. Mm. Sure, they're there. It's like, it's fine. <laughs> I'm sure they're rehabilitated. <laughs> Just like everybody in the program on Coruscant, this is fine. Exactly. Whew. All right. Next, we have a mall callback moment, which I always love. When Shin Hati is on Lothal, there are some shots similar to Maul's arrival on Tatooine in The Phantom Menace with the uh, probe droids. Like, she's spying, spying things out. This sets her up as the apprentice who perhaps blindly follows her master's orders. She is a bit of a hothead, just like Maul. Maybe she'll run over a child like Maul almost did in the Phantom Menace. Here yeah, too. for apparently no reason. No reason. Nope. He looked shady. <laughs> Which, fair. <laughs> yeah. And next we have the New Republic being on shaky ground. Continuing the big trend in recent Star Wars, we see how the New Republic just seems to be really bad at its job continuing to employ plenty of imperial loyalists on Corellia, and we rightfully ding them for this over and over again. There is, though, plenty of historical evidence to show that, I mean, this is just what happens. When you're at war, especially a civil war, Mm -hmm. after you win, you have to govern. And in order to govern, you need people. And a lot of those people are the people that you were just fighting. So whether that's the French Revolution, the American Civil War, when they're over... Those people still have to go about their lives in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes it mostly works out. Sometimes you get a Bourbon restoration, and then another revolution, and then an Emperor Napoleon. Everything's fine in France. (laughs) Everything's great in France. (laughs) 
everything. It's all wonderful. Sometimes you start oh. some nice little reconstruction and then um that doesn't work either. And then that doesn't that doesn't quite work out the way you hoped it would. Yes. I mean it's very realistic that yeah. you can't just kill or imprison every single person who was loyal to the empire or possibly loyal to the empire. You you have no people. You exactly. Don't want to work. It it's just it's not feasible. So while it's frustrating when you run into these kinds of things, it is realistic for the plot. Okay, next. I was a little disappointed because we didn't get to see Hera's ghost, her signature ship. We did get a sequence, though, with her piloting the Phantom, or the Phantom 2, which is the smaller short-range shuttle for the ghost. Its maneuverability is perfect for an ace pilot like Hera, and there's a droid port for Chop. The Phantom was originally found on the planet Agamar, great episode of Rebels, where former Clone, War- Clone Wars droid General Kalani lived. <laughs> Now that was an episode of television. Ezra had lost the original Phantom in a different episode. So this ship from their encounter with Kalani becomes the new Phantom. Great. And Hera just, this is the spot where it was like, okay, Mary, Mary Elizabeth Winston has, has it. Yep. Yep. She was great. With this. She was great in the scene. Next, we are back on Lothal, which is an outer rim planet and Ezra Verger's home. It's a very temperate planet with a, Decently low population. It's got a lot of like planes. Mm-hmm. Looks like Mountains. fields of wheat. <laughs> so much wheat <laughs> and loath cats. <laughs> yes. Lothal was taken over by the Empire to use as an industrial center. Uh, then, after its liberation, the city really continues to flourish, becomes very Wizard, Wizard of Oz kind of, or yeah. like a shining glass city. Actually, a lot like that city in uh, Visions, Volume 2, yes. in the pit. Mm hmm. Let's hope that's not what happened. <laughs> no. But also there is Ezra Bridger's communications tower house, which is where he lived after his parents were taken by the Empire. And it's where Sabine has taken up residence now. It is complete with some Sabine art on the wall. we got the Firebird motif, a couple mm-hmm. other pieces of graffiti, and Ezra's Imperial Helmet collection. You could see it piled in the corner, which is really fun. <laughs> Oh, the details are fantastic. <laughs> yes. So Ezra lived here before meeting the Spectres in the Rebels pilot. And the opening scene of Rebels depicts Ezra on the tower, looking out at the city at the series end. We get a great mirror shot of Sabine looking up, looking out over the city. Yeah. It's like, oh, more poetry. Thank you, Dave Filoni. <laughs> I love it so much. Okay. Next, we have maybe my favorite part of all of Star Wars, the Hello Cats. Oh, my God. <laughs> I want to hold them and snuggle them and love them. These curious and temperamental creatures are native to Lothal. They're part of the Tuca cat family. We've seen a Tuca before in The Mandalorian, but they have a larger presence in Rebels. Ezra had a particular affinity for them, and they loved him. They just climb all over him. It was fun to see Sabine caring for one, though we do want to know its name and who is taking care of it while Sabine is gone. And also, Ahsoka should have pet that sweet baby. (laughs) Literally, the cat was right there. Just pet the cat. (laughs) I don't know, Colleen. I always thought that these guys were your favorite thing in all of Star Wars. And that is, of course, the Pergo. 
welcomed. We've mentioned we've mentioned these guys a couple of times now. They are giant space creatures, very similar to whales. They could enter hyperspace on their own and travel very long distances. We're introduced to them in Rebels season two. The episode is called The Call, where Ezra connects with them via the Force and forms some kind of a bond. A lot of episodes, a lot of people thought that that was a, very much a filler episode, but then got shocked when the Pergo will brought back for the finale and his endgame plan against Thrawn. Amazing. Powerful enough to pull a Star Destroyer into hyperspace, the Purgle are nothing to laugh at. No. Nope. They are amazing space whales. We love a space whale. There are space whales everywhere. We love a Doctor Who space whale. We love a Star Wars space whale. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Sabine's little kind of mini altar that she's got before she cuts her hair. This is actually kind of a perfect mirror of a scene from Rebel Season 4. Right before going on a rescue mission, Kanan kneels on an altar before his mask uh, and cuts his hair in the same way. Sabine gets better results, probably because at the time she is not blind. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> I mean, Kanan at least was a Jedi. He should have done better with his hair less face masks. <laughs> okay. Next, we have another very cool looking ship, the Eye of Scion. For, like me, the language person, a Scion is a child or descendant, usually of a wealthy or influential family. More importantly, a Scion is an heir. Yay, everyone, an heir. Most likely to be Thrawn, the heir to the Empire. The giant ship resembles a hyperspace gate or drive that was often used on smaller fighter ships that didn't have hyperdrives. They need a ton of hyperdrives, apparently, to get wherever Thrawn is. This ship is huge, and it has a ton of them. They might also need to get one of the drives for the Chimera, although it makes sense that Thrawn's flagship was scuttled after the Battle of Lothal. I was really curious about this. I was like, is, it almost looks it looks like the, the hyperspace rings that you were going to put a ship into, but I don't know mm-hmm. if they were actually going to do that, or if that's just the ship on its own. It also mm-hmm. kind of looks like a Stargate. Yes, it did look like a Stargate. <laughs> So is this like some other piece of tech? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, as we, as we, mostly Colleen, tried in vain to decipher the names of the planets and the end credits, a lot of Trip Intrepid fans did it for us. Thank you. So there are several planets <laughs> named uh, in the end credits, which were styled after a Sith language. Uh, we get the planets Arcana, Learn, Garel, Othal, Mandalore, Agamar, Dathomir, Yavin, Corellia, Hasana, Duro, Cato de Moria, the Corellian Run, Coruscant, Odin, Cetos, and Peridia. Uh, there was at least one more name that wasn't quite deciphered by fans, but a lot of those planets are very familiar to several people in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's only a couple where I was like, I don't recognize that name. <laughs> We will possibly be running into these things. Yes. All right. Lastly, now we are going to go through some questions, some predictions for the rest of the season. Uh, anything we think that's going to happen next. Things that we want to happen next. I have two main questions coming out of these episodes that we haven't already kind of that we haven't already touched on. Number one, Colleen, how long before we go to Tatooine? Fucking hope never. <laughs> It wasn't one of the planets listed, so let's avoid it for now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Another one would be how long before we actually see Thrawn? Oof. Mid-season at least, if not almost at the end. I was going to say I was I was I'm like I'm kind of on like the odd numbered the even numbered episodes. I'm like either 4 
maybe, maybe at the six. end of six, and then he's there for kind of like a two-part finale type thing. I don't know. It's tough. I'm just really excited to see what happens next. I'm really excited to see more of Sabine and Ahsoka together having to solve problems. Mm-hmm. I think their dynamic back and forth is something that's going to really spark a lot. Yes, because... Like Hera said, their personalities are so similar. Yeah. And Sabine will push back, just like Ahsoka did to Anakin. Exactly. Just like Anakin did to Obi-Wan. What? (laughs) (laughs) Anakin wasn't a problem child at all. He seemed fine. Oh, my goodness. Okay. um, No Tatooine, please. Please, Lord. Uh, We're going to get into a lot more theories and such as the episodes continue. I mean, we're going to have questions because we don't know everything that's going on people's identities, people's motives, what they actually want. We don't know. Uh, We've already gone over a lot of things in this pod. So I'm just going to leave it with this one short little thing. Dave Filoni, Thrawn had better be compelling. That is all. That's my (laughs) one wish. I don't want him him to be some cookie cutter villain. I want him to have layers. Give me the parfait of Thrawn. I want the layers. (laughs) It's not too much to ask. All right. And with that, thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Twix and Instagram at YSWPod. Uh, wherever you're getting your podcast, hit that follow button. Leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can check out all of our previous episodes on Star Wars films, Star Wars Visions, other Star Wars series. Uh, like I said, you can check us out on the Bohemian Geek Studies feed where we did do an entire series on Star Wars Rebels. You can check out all the offerings in the Forgotten Entertainment family over at ForgottenEntertainment.com. And join us next time when we are going to take a look at the next episode of Ahsoka. Until then, back up your ancient map data to the cloud before the droids destroy it. And keep those episodes streaming. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Oh, bye, everyone.